Lights in the Sky podcast, a casual chat about the uncasual world. <laughs> <laughs> I can never get that right. Okay, we're going to settle on that right now. It's casual chat about uncasual things. Yeah. Right, okay. So, I'm Luke. And um, I'm Tony. And I'm going to update the tagline on the website by the time we finish recording. So what have we agreed with then? <laughs> yeah, I think it's... Uncasual chit-chat about the casual things? No. <laughs> uncasual chat about the uncasual... Sorry, wait, what? Casual chat yeah. about the uncasual world. No. Casual chat about uncasual things. So right. That's way, way What's this better. podcast about again? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Lights in the Sky podcast. Luke. Tony. Casual chat about, about uncasual things. things. Yeah, there we go. Okay, so we're basically just going to um, run through a couple of paranormal things, um, conspiracy theories, UFO sightings, um, maybe talk to some cryptozoologists along the way. Basically just be a way in for anyone who doesn't know anything about any of these conspiracy theories. Some of them are actually kind of cool to just read through, so... Um, yeah, just interesting to hear. So we're just going to outline some of them and see where we get to. Yeah, I think we're just, just going to take it easy, uh, make a brew. Keep it casual. Dunk some dunk some bickies in, in, in some tea and, uh, yeah, just read away. Just blow your minds. <laughs> All right, so um, the first one. So I take it you want me to go first? It's got a few tales to, to, to spin today yeah yeah has anything paranormal happened to you in the last since the last episode which doesn't exist Ah, since you were born ah very very interesting so in uh, the last 31 years anything paranormal (laughs) happened to me yeah um i once saw a light in the sky it was very bright and lit up a patch oh it's a star i've seen those before yeah oh you have (laughs) yeah there's usually heaps of them Uh, the the mysterious encounter happened in the patch of a patch of wooded area oh yeah so this is true right this you, actually happened you were outside the at the back of the airport uh close-ish up to no good up to no good <laughs> yeah actually <laughs> <laughs> and yeah there just was this um bright blazing light that just lit up all the trees for as far as i could see and it was um lasted for a couple of seconds and it disappeared so what time of day was this obviously at night it was about probably two o'clock in the morning oh yeah so very very late very very late so and you're... it was just it really really freaked me out to be honest so you're with other people uh yeah but they didn't really see it I think because they were, there was a blazing of other types going on at the time. Okay. Yeah. So they just thought it was like a lighter. Maybe, but I, I must for, for the record, I was stone cold sober and um, merely with these people for their company. That doesn't sound good. <laughs> but it was, and yeah, just really uh, got the old um, hairs on the back of my neck. I try to shave them. <laughs> anyway, try to keep them true going back to the light um, it was just pure I mean, you white it as yeah pure white light it was incredible it, so from a from a point or it, I couldn't couldn't assume where it came from I probably if it, it had lasted for longer you could have seen if there was a direction of shadows or to indicate where the light was coming from but it just lit up the whole forest it was pretty spooky <laughs> and then a little while later, it looked like it had moved, and there was another bright patch a wee bit further away. Hmm. Like it was, you know, maybe a kilometre or so away, which will mean nothing to everyone, uh, North American or American listeners. A kilometre, <laughs> yeah. uh, a kilometre is a billion miles. <laughs> I think. I think that's the rough yeah. uh, conversion. Yeah, I think it's five hundred miles. That's where they wrote that song. <sighs> like yes. how you would walk. 500 miles it's actually they were talking about they're walking a kilometer is it time for our musical moment are we breaking out a song <laughs> no we don't do that oh um, okay i have it down here on my show notes I do have <laughs> we have a musical number I, I do have further questions about this light though i don't know whether i believe you yet 
Um. <laughs> <laughs> All right, maybe we'll come back with that at some point later to to uh, so we'll keep the suspense going for our listener. Okay. Well, <laughs> yeah. well listeners, there's two of us. Well, so. yeah, I mean, there's two of us, so yeah, yeah. Probably, we'll, we'll probably listen. To this, you'll probably. Listen I mean, to I could just talk to you later. Yeah. Like we we don't have to do this. Well, you'll probably listen to this back. I probably won't because <laughs> it's not great quality. Yeah. Not uh, great. Yeah. If they'd be the hosts. <laughs> Yeah, good. All right, should you dive yeah, no, in bees deep? Or? I'm not ready yet. I want to question you more on this light. So <laughs> It's really not what I want to tell. <laughs> um, was it a clear night? Was it lightning? Absolutely clear. Did you hear anything? No, 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 no. There was, it was, because oh, originally I thought it was lightning, um, but no, there was absolutely no clouds in the sky and it was, um, and there was no noise. Could you see stars from where you were? Yes. Like there was just not lots, even over Lots of stars because there was um, not, not, much, not much other light around. Was it a plane flying over? Well, they have headlights on. Or it headlights. would have to be a plane diving towards the ground. <laughs> and I think I would have heard the plane. It, it was just so bright in such close proximity. And it just lit everything up. And I could just I could see um, my hands and I could see my feet. And I could see the um, the parka I was wearing to, to keep my chilly self cold. And there was warm, people nearby warm. potentially doing illegal smoking activities. They were somewhere away because I'd walked away from them because I didn't want to inhale uh, said smoking <laughs> due to um, other reasons but I'd, I'd, I'd gone some distance I think I may have even gone to urinate <laughs> so I wanted a bit of privacy right interesting so you could see it was it was bright enough you could see the green of the grass yes hmm. sounds like lies to me <laughs> um, alright let me dive into a conspiracy theory we'll come back into that if I have further questions intermittently no doubt <laughs> I think I told you everything about it <laughs> <laughs> and I still don't believe you yeah exactly <laughs> um, alright so um, basically we originally had the idea that I would research all the things to do with a conspiracy theory of my choice and do a deep dive and come back with some sort of um, squeaky chair <laughs> come back with some sort of like opinion or um you know, just let you know where I sat on the issue. Um, after well, you sat on the issue on a squeaky chair, I think <laughs> we've solved that one. That one mystery. Um, yeah. Um, so I think where I got to was we basically, in researching for week one of our podcast, realised that if we were to do it like this, so this is a shout out to our day oneers, right? <laughs> yeah, that's a good day oneers who have been there from us from the beginning. Though, like they might be, this might be day one in twenty eighteen. Yeah. Like they might have, they might have worked backwards. Yeah. They might have picked us up when we were fifty two episodes deep, deep, that, and gone backwards. Because I often talk about bees deep, you know, <laughs> I'm talking about, but fifty two episodes deep is even deeper. <laughs> okay, it's so like, it's like Brendan Fraser and Journey to the Center of the Earth. <laughs> Shout out to Brendan Fraser. What? An, like, that's another paranormal okay, mystery. What happened to him? We don't say shout out. Okay, can we do a shout out to Brendan Fraser? <laughs> I mean, sorry. Can we do a paranormal? Can we do one of these on Brendan Fraser and what happened to his career? Yeah, we could do. Yeah. I mean, because they remade the Mummy and there's no Brendan. Really? <laughs> then maybe he's waiting to get guest appearances on Scrubs again. Mm. <laughs> anyway, so we basically realised that if we go through and research everything about a conspiracy theory we will want to kill ourselves because we won't have any um any evenings or weekends to yes, ourselves. we have such active social lives exactly so <laughs> so so um, i just sit here on a friday night <laughs> in my spare bedroom yeah <laughs> um so we're not going to do that i'm going to start and start with kind of um where I got to some basic basic research and keep it very casual yeah. you're, you're a proud basic bitch aren't you yeah and we'll go from there so I don't know what you're going to talk about no I know that's the other thing there's another mystery there's it... so many mysteries in this podcast <laughs> yeah, so far what are we talking about I went to Brendan Fraser <laughs> that's good okay so I'm going to start with what's being called by one person <laughs> one person <laughs> and not just me <laughs> one other person um the moby dick of conspiracy theories oh so do you want me to hold all questions to the end or may i no, interject interject do i need to raise my hand um sure 
Will that make my microphone muffled? Uh, don't, don't raise your hand. Okay, no. I'll sit perfectly still. Again. <laughs> yeah. I'm, um, not, I'm barely allowed to breathe. I can, on. I can hear you when you interject, so maybe just interject. Okay, so I am raising my hand or not? Not raising my hand. I'll just jump into it and we'll see what happens. Maybe I make a noise like a um, beeping. So what if I start with what some of the um, conspiracy theorists are saying about this thing? Okay. So this is a conspiracy theory that involves the Russian military. See if you can guess what it is. Um, Mind control. Weaponizing the weather. Any clues? No. Triggering earthquakes. Low frequency hums. Oh. (laughs) Okay, so um, have you heard of HARP? Yes. Well, well, why don't you guess it? Oh, okay. Harp. Is it harp? <laughs> also trapped souls, I should have mentioned. Oh. Yeah, so <laughs> wow, this is... This is pretty juicy, right? It is. <laughs> um, so, um, harp, spelled H-A-A-R-P, um, is a... Emphasis on the A's, I take it. Yeah, I mean, it's weird because it's H-A-A-R-P, but the first two words is high frequency. So there should be an F in there. But hafar Hafar. Hafarp. Hafarp. This is testing out my microphone P's. Yeah. Hafarp. Um, so, okay, so please refer to Harp as Hafarp. <laughs> I won't. Um, so, I think have do you know what it is? Rubbing in. Have you heard of it? I've heard of it, but I do not. I mean, I, I, I know scarcely a little detail. Okay, so it's a bunch of um, high frequency transmitters, kind of like TV aerials, um, that are uh, located in Alaska in Alaska north of the border north of our border yes we're in New Zealand so very north of our border yeah but when people say like America's on the other side of the world to us it's not true no it's it's on the same side of the world it's just 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 very it's just upstairs yeah (laughs) yeah so this um, high frequency active auroral auroral research program you nearly said oral didn't you (laughs) nearly was Go to, your, um, go to your default. The, I guess what gives it, what people, um, why they jump straight away to um, these things like weaponizing the weather is that it was originally set up by the U.S. Air Force and the U.S. Navy, um, along with the University of Alaska and a bunch of others that did a little bit of work there. Um, so straight away, a conspiracy theorist can see um, why, you know, there might be some questions. Mm. <laughs> Um, so what it does is these uh, radio antennas shoot energy way up into the atmosphere, the top part of the atmosphere called the ionosphere, and basically they just monitor what happens to it. So it's it's um, heating up and exciting um, subatomic particles in the upper atmosphere, and um, yeah, they, basically they say the effect of them shooting these um, electrical charges up into um, the ionosphere gives them an idea of how the ionosphere works, what right. it's doing. Okay. And um, yeah, so the reason they might do it is to inc- improve um, UHF radar and things like that. Um, just glossing over the boring parts of what the man says it does. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the problem, I what I think it is, is it's kind of like. Um, uh, the Hadron Collider it's a very high concept like um, your average person might not know exactly what it's doing and so straight away there's a way in for anyone to make up what it's doing because it's very hard to explain charged atoms in the ionosphere to the everyday man but if I say well they're shooting energy up there and causing earthquakes and Causing just got a hell of a lot more interesting, didn't it? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, so causing earthquakes in the sky, like <laughs> those two things don't normally work together. Yep. So, um, yeah, the man says that they're just figuring out what the ionosphere does. Um, it's also a facility that claims to be very open about what they do. They have open days and um, things like that, which they call an open house, um, which I guess they would, being American. Mm-hmm. 
Open house. Yeah. Open house. Yeah. <laughs> um, problem with that is this that is an open home. <laughs> yeah, I mean we when have open homes. Yeah, when you've got to clean your house and you have your neighbours walk through your house to touch and do things because they're curious. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess the thing with that is um, the well the the issue with them saying how open they are and how um, they have these annual very successful open houses. Um, they're bragging about their open houses. Yeah, they're bragging about them. But what what um, what we have is a situation where um, the governor of Minnesota went to one of oh no sorry he didn't go to an open house but he called to get a tour of the place. Um, he's a noted conspiracy theorist allegedly. Um, his name is Jesse Ventura. <laughs> oh right. Yeah. <laughs> I think they call him Ace. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he... He did a great show. Great show. And I love it when we interview people and they still refer to him as governor, even though he's retired. There you go. Yeah. So, um... Great name. Uh, he basically wanted to have a tour. Um, they said no, I guess because of who he is. And um, then he turned up anyway and, surprise, surprise, was turned away. <laughs> so... <laughs> So, so whether that's this, their where fault. Where is this place again, sorry? In Alaska. So you went all over Alaska. <laughs> I don't know where he resides. Like, oh, it's, um, you know, it's the... Minnesota to the Alaska, governor of, I guess. The governor of Minnesota is here. It's like, okay, you've come a long way. Um, we're not open today. Yeah. He and his crew showed up at Harp anyway and were denied access, is the quote. So, yeah. Um, uh, I guess it goes against that openness that they claim to have, but maybe it was like one of those things where... You want to have an open house, but you haven't cleaned up. Oh, yeah. You know, when you see those signs that it's like open home on Sunday, and then you see it says it's been cancelled, you're like, why is it cancelled? Did someone, you know... Made a hole in the wall or something? Yeah. yeah. Or, you know, something in the toilet. To mm-hmm. Could so, smell out. Yeah. <laughs> so just to dive into some of these theories about what it's doing, is um, uh, Russian military, I mentioned they had a thing to say. Um they, in a military journal, wrote that ionospheric testing would trigger a cascade of electrons that could flip the magnetic poles, which is weird because I thought they were due to flip. I've been hearing about them flipping for a flipping long time, actually. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I, think, I think all the signs are on track towards a flip. Yeah, that's right. Um, something like they flip every 50 million years or something, or 50,000 years, um, just as part of the... Um, it has a zero in it, though. I know it has that. a zero in it. Yeah. I'm not sure what it is, but it definitely has a zero. And more than one, probably. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can have as many as you want with a decimal point. Um, the European Parliament and the Alaska State Legislature, Legislature Alaska, said um, <laughs> <laughs> they held hearings about it um, because people were citing environmental concerns. So... Um, yeah, I mean, one of the small-scale tests that I saw in my little bit of research was um, a guy had a whole bunch of um, water particles, like vapor, so basically what he's calling a cloud, and a big tube, like a vessel, and he would shoot an electrical charge into them, and what would happen would was that it would move all of these um, water vapor uh, particles, I guess you'd call them, up to the top of this vessel yeah. and they would all rain down again. Wow. So um, what he's saying is that this harp um, uh, antenna or you know this harp operation is doing that to the ionosphere. So making it rain, basically. Wow. So in his cloud, like does he store like naked pictures of himself and things like that? Or is that a different type of cloud to the my my iCloud or um, the other thing to note <laughs> is that um, there's more than one like harp is what people call this particular one place but there's actually um three in the harp program uh one in rio i think rio de janeiro and um two in alaska i believe could be wrong i kept it casual on the research (laughs) yeah yeah. very casual on the research but um there's also uh one in the european union one in russia um, these things are, you know, dotted all around the world. So um, that ties in as well with if you were going to manipulate the weather, uh, weaponize the weather, then you would need a network of these things. Uh, potentially doesn't tie in so well with, um, uh, you know, America 
doing this to other people it's more of a everyone has one of these things so unless it was an arms race then it might even be one of those um uh theories where it's the governments controlling the world rather than one government controlling another country right goes, it goes above and beyond what sort of normal politics would would, would govern it potentially say, an arms yeah. race or anything like that yeah that's right yep um so um, the other part I mentioned was that um, there was talk of souls being trapped. Yeah, this, yeah. Okay. <laughs> let, let, let's, let's hear more about this one. Yeah, so this one was um, as late as November 2016, which was when both you and I were in America, actually. You were there, You were still there in November? I, I, I did four days. Yeah, there you go. Um, uh, November 2016, so fairly recent, there was two people arrested with a whole... Um, a suitcase of souls. <laughs> no, no. Smuggling them through the airport or something. No, it was a, a big weapons cache. So they had, they had all kinds of weapons that um, they planned, well, allegedly, they planned mm-hmm. on um, uh, going and blowing up the harp facility. They said that there were souls trapped in there, and God told them to go and free these <laughs> souls so that they could go up to them. <laughs> Why would they want souls? Well, they didn't want them. God wanted them. No, but why do Harp want souls, though? Oh, that's a good point. What's the... Yeah. Um, not sure. Um, they... <laughs> this doesn't really talk about why they, they just... No. So they were told by God that Harp had stolen souls. Yeah. The quote is, the, the Georgia... They were from uh, Georgia, obviously. Yeah. After I said Georgia. Yeah. Um, the Coffee County Sheriff's Office say that the men had a massive arsenal, so to speak, that included AR-15 rifles, Glock handguns, Remington rifle, and thousands of rounds of ammunition. So there was some serious business going on. Um, According to police, the men wanted to destroy Harp because they believe the facility manipulates the weather, controls minds, and traps the souls of people. Police say the men confessed that God told them to go and blow this machine up that kept souls so souls could be released. That's all the information I have for yeah, you. That's a bit of a misstep by God, to be honest, to be firing in like that. I mean, if anyone can just pop up a harp station and it overrules the word of God, I mean... Well, yeah, well, why doesn't God just free the souls himself? Is he having an off day? Correct. Lazy. Like, is, is God no match for harp? Right, you're right. <laughs> Unless, like, maybe they maybe they were trapping souls because somebody called a maybe a senior figure in Harp a soulless bastard, and they were like, "All right, we'll show you. I'm going to capture souls, store them." So next time someone says my heartless, sorry, soulless bastard, I'll be like, "Well, I've got like seven souls trapped in here, That's and a fair point. God ain't going to tell me to get rid of them." What do you do with a soul? I think we're more trouble than it's worth. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Um... So there's a phys- physicist um, that he he claimed that Harp used technology based on his own patents, um, and and he reckoned the patents were from um, some technology that would allow him to modify the weather and neutralize satellites, which is a new one as well. Mm. So modify the weather, yeah, we can kind of get that. You know, it might make rain. Um, or just but, persistent drizzle, which is the worst kind <laughs> of weather. Yeah. Um, the the yeah. See the the bit I don't get is how some of these examples are talking about turning water vapor that's already there into rain, whereas some of these conspiracy theories are talking about floods, droughts, hurricanes, thunderstorms, earthquakes, um, all sorts of things. Gulf War syndrome. It's Gulf War syndrome. Let me let me click this. Okay. <laughs> Follow down the rabbit hole. Yeah. Let's do this. This might be another conspiracy theory where it's not actually a thing. Um, it's Gulf War syndrome, also known of, known as Gulf War illness, as a chronic, multi-symptomatic disorder affecting returning military vets and civilian workers of the Gulf War. Obviously, hence the name, I guess. Oh, oh nasty! A wide range of acute and chronic symptoms have been linked to it, including fatigue. Yeah, it's not so bad. Have a nap. <laughs> Muscle pain. Have a massage. I've got that pain. I was telling problems. you about. Maybe I've got golf or syndrome. Cognitive problems. So get one of those apps that like um, track your sleep. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was going to say the ones that um, you know, train your brain. Oh. You know those ones that 
Maybe we can get one of those to sponsor us. Like Lumosity. <laughs> um, rashes. That's pretty bad. Uh, I don't like rashes. And now we're getting down the... Yeah. And diarrhea. Oh. So, so Harper's potentially... Causing diarrhea. Causing diarrhea. Um, All right. So next time you get a case of uh, the runs, I, <laughs> I guess you know who to blame. Here's another one. It apparently may have downed the flight... TWA, who's that? What's Transworld like? Airlines? T- yeah. TWA, TWA 800, I bet you're going to say. Yeah. Yeah. So you know about this one? I do. What do you know about it? Uh, they're saying it had, it was an elderly 747 that had taken off from JFK for Paris Charles de Gaulle, and not long after takeoff from New York, suffered a massive explosion, which they're saying originated in the center fuel tank because there wasn't much fuel in it, because it wasn't loaded for a lot of fuel for a long flight, but that the exposed wiring um, generated a spark which ignited the fuel vapour, which had collected in the fuel tank. And the, re- the reason it was the fuel was so hot was because the air conditioning units were sitting underneath the centre fuel tank of the 747, so it was very hot under there. Hot vapour ignited, blew the front of the plane off. The rear section from the wings re- back flew on for a few minutes, before plummeting into the Atlantic Ocean off the coast of Long Island. It's a pretty horrific crash, to be honest. Yeah. Um, no- there's a number of conspiracy theories from the fact that it was downed by a missile um, to evidently harp. Yeah, no, none of that explanation was true because it was just harp. Right, okay, we solved it. Yeah, um, yeah so um, what else? You usually don't want to harp on about it. <laughs> Okay, on that note, um, I reckon we're done with Harp. Any questions? Uh, no, but I might do some research. Will there be some show notes? <laughs> Squeaky chair. <laughs> some show notes for this Harp? Yeah, you'll put the links up? Yeah, I'll put some links up on um, the website, lightsintheskypodcast.com. Or what was the other one we had redirect? Lightsintheskypod.com. Yeah. In case you don't know how to spell cast. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Your memory goes as far as being able to get to a light. What was it? Lights in the sky, pod something. Yeah. Pod C. <laughs> no. Uh, but if you do that, we will link it too. Yeah. Thank you. Cool. So that's Harp. Um, yeah. Kind of a, a big old paddock of antennas that shoot stuff into the ionosphere and um, potentially. I mean, one thing with it is that it's it sort of. If I if I may add add a thing. Oh, you've gone off script. You've gone rogue. <laughs> when you think about it, I mean, it might just be because here in Christchurch we had an earthquake, but when this thing went online about ten to fifteen years ago, in the last fifteen years, do you re- it, it feels like there's been more of these kind of things happen. I mean, there's been earthquakes through Italy, Iran, all that sort of stuff. Problem is though, I don't remember much prior to the last 15 years so I'm sort, of like, I'm sort of like my memory kind of goes back 15 years yeah I just wondered if it was one of those things like you know when you see uh, when you buy a car like a Toyota Fielder and straight oh. away you see heaps of Toyota Fielders around yes you do don't you yeah. and then like one of your mates buys one they're bloody everywhere <laughs> pain pains me to see so many yeah so uh, I just wondered yeah. if it was that kind of thing now where, that, now that we've had an earthquake open to that yeah. yeah now that we've had an earthquake I see earthquakes all over the news is it just our news because they you know they see earthquake and think right people know what that is here now right or, it's a popular topic of conversation yeah so maybe maybe that's um but I guess in, but to be fair in this country I do remember as a kid there just weren't that many. I remember a, a wee judder when I was you know youngish and that was quite a, was quite impressive and we seem to have those quakes all the time now and there's been so many big ones recently so maybe it is getting yeah it's, it's so it definitely does seem to be more. I there's think. a list um of all the earthquakes that have happened since Harp went online and it's there's Iran, Pakistan, Haiti, Turkey, Greece, Philippines. And it doesn't actually mention New Zealand. Ouch. So, I've forgotten the game. Left yeah. off the list. Yeah. Maybe yeah. Harp didn't claim our one. Maybe it was something else. Yeah, maybe it was just an earthquake. Yeah. <laughs> this one wasn't Harp. I mean, that's already. an option too. It's like Harp aren't going to claim responsibility for this earthquake. There yeah. You go. So, yeah, there's Harp. Um, I'll put up some further information if anyone wants to actually dive deeper. Can you put um, up in the next open houses, please? <laughs> I could, actually. Yeah, we might want to go along. Mm-hmm. So we'll put in the show notes or a link onto the uh, um, 
next open house at Harp. And if you're in the neighbourhood... I can tell you, actually, um, just clicking around, the last open house was deemed by Harp on their website as a rousing success. Wow. Harp open house on 27th of August 2016 was a rousing success. Over 350 people showed up. So many people! Which, in addition to tours of the Harp facility... 350 people turned up. Featured an unmanned aircraft petting zoo. What? This isn't... A hands-on permafrost exhibit, physics demonstrations, portable planetarium, cultural connections, aurora video, and a barbecue. Right, so these guys are purposely just being really lame to throw us off the scent that they're killing or creating earthquakes and killing people. And This is actually on their website. Listen to this. Many thanks to the Geophysical Institute staff. Now, these people are important people. They know their stuff. Okay. All right. Many thanks to it's the geophysical. <laughs> many thanks to the geophysical institute staff who helped from grilling hot dogs to parking thirty-six foot motorhomes <laughs> to patiently answering visitors' questions. Patiently, <laughs> like <laughs> how anal were these questions? They had to be so patient with us. Yeah, it was just the same question over and over. So like we've had this. We're not creating earthquakes. Look yeah. at the barbecue. Look at the aerial petting zoo. Yeah. <laughs> Um, here we go. Online sales of Harp Souvenir t-shirts um, will be coming soon. Watch the space. That would be popular. I reckon they will go popular, like those um, Shell Stoke lighters. <laughs> yeah. Shell Stoke, which you can scratch off the letters to write yeah. Hell Toke. Yeah. Okay. Um, so the website for Harp I'll put up as well. So this is the University of Alaska Fairbanks. Um, wow, this is this is a weird kind of connection because I've got a Fairbanks reference in my story. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Um, so their their URL is quite weird. I mean, it's probably not weird if you live in Alaska, but it's gi.alaska.edu/harp-zero. So like I'll put zero up the link. In the number or <laughs> the, the yeah. word zero? No, no, the number, the digit, the digi. Um, so I'll put that up so that no one has to actually remember that. Right. And you can have a look at how. The open house was a rousing success. Are there pictures? Despite questions. Are there any pictures? No, there's no pictures. Oh, man. Come on. There's just a press release with no pictures. Yep. Okay. I think I'm done. I think we're done. Okay. Moving right along. Moving right along. So what have you got? Well, you know, you asked me about my, my paranormal sighting. Yes. I'd like to ask you about your Paralympian sighting, <laughs> the famous Paralympian sighting. Um, when I was at university, I studied film, and one of the film examples for documentary film was... Murder ball, does yep. that count? Is that your, so that's your famous Paralympian sighting? Yeah, it was at a lecture hall in um, the University of Canterbury. Oh, story's not as good. As I, thought. I thought it was a much better story than that. No, so moving on. Okay, so you, what else you got? So you haven't seen any famous Paralympians recently? No, I, not that I've, I mean, no, <laughs> no, I haven't. Ask you a question. Ask a question. Would you go to the Paralympics if you wanted to? Would you go and watch at the Paralympics? And if you went there, would you feel bad about watching? Well, here's the thing. If I could afford to go to the Paralympics, I could afford to go to other places. Yeah. I'd probably go somewhere else. Oh, okay. So you wouldn't go to the Paralympics. That, that's um, interesting. Well, if you're saying to me, here's a trip, go to the Paralympics, and you have to go to the Paralympics, I'd say, yes, I'll go. But if you're saying, here's, you know... No, a few something, th- no one's holding a gun to your head. You don't have to go to the Paralympics <laughs> if you don't want to. Here's a, here's a bunch of money go and spend it on a trip i'm not choosing to go there so you wouldn't choose to go to the paralympics nope okay says so something about you there we go all right moving moving along into our next tale sure <laughs> <laughs> after that set up <laughs> um so this this story is one of my um one of my fads how much would it cost to go like where is the next paralympics where's the next olympics festival that might help did you see the closing ceremony usually they have something in there i saw the opening ceremony no. Remember that Tongan guy without a shirt on? Yes. Wow, really oiled up. <laughs> um, do you want to? Well, come. You, you, you. Well, I start the I'll story. You start the, the, next, the Paralympics next, next Paralympics. Out. Well, it will be the same place as the Olympics, right? Yes, it always is. It just it's always afterwards. But I'd like it to be first. That's okay. I'll look it up. You go. Tell me about right. your story. So the story is a. Uh, um, as Dr. Bruce Maccabee puts it, the fantastic flight of JAL 1628, JAL being Japan Airlines. Uh, next Olympics is in Tokyo. Wow, spooky connection there. 
<laughs> we've had yeah we're going for Japan Airlines I wonder if Japan Airlines is the official sponsor <laughs> an official sponsor official travel partner wow okay. so I would probably go to them if I got time to go to other places in Tokyo I wouldn't mind going there to the Paralympics I'd go to the Paralympics and other things good on you <laughs> so JAL okay 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 so this um, the story takes place in uh, November of 1986. So we were one, young, one. Um, I wasn't even one yet. I was. Yeah, you were. Well, well I wasn't. This is really interesting. <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> so what happened? It was a um, Japan Airlines 747, which is a um, a big plane with four engines and um, a lot of capacity for. French wine, which is why it was flying uh, in the first place. So back in the day, you couldn't fly from Europe to Asia over Russia because well, the Soviet Union didn't want anything in their airspace. So they didn't have to go the long way around. Jeez. So to get from Paris to Tokyo, they had to fly um, Paris to Reykjavik in Iceland for a refuel. And also planes didn't have the range they have these days. And then Reykjavik to Anchorage and then Anchorage to Tokyo. That was the trip. Can I just ask, where does your airspace end? As in, how high? There is no official boundaries. So some will say it is at a certain point. Um, some will say some countries think it's space. So space shuttle does a lap of the world. It's going through. <laughs> it's going through well, all the airspace. The no it, one can get to it. Yeah, like what? The, I guess the space shuttle has been decommissioned, but. The ISS? Yeah. yeah, I mean, for example, our space shuttle. I mean, it didn't have to be happening today. Okay. Well, Still a valid point, throw, is what I'm th- saying. We're doing a throwback. Okay, yeah. <laughs> well, it's 1986, isn't it? Yeah, but were they grounded? Was that just after Challenge? Squishy. Anyway, so they were flying... <laughs> JAL, yeah. now that I've dug myself a hole about space shuttle <laughs> knowledge. We have seen a space shuttle. Yeah. Not a launch. The closest we came was a space shuttle lunch because we had lunch in the vicinity. I think. Did we? I, no, we had lunch at um, the pier. All oh, right. Okay. So even I mean, that kind of got close to a space shuttle lunch then. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so the captain who was in charge of this was uh, Captain Kenju Terauchi. He had 29 years flight experience. So no, he's not. He's no no new boy on the block. Mm-hmm. He knew what he was doing whipping a 747 across the skies. Um, had a first officer with him and sitting next to him and then a flight engineer because again back in the day old planes needed more people to fly them because computers weren't as shit hot as they are today mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so aircraft is a little less airspace cruising at uh, 35,000 feet travelling about 900 kilometres an hour or quick conversion 565 mph Carry on. Carry on. We can get through this. So after about uh, soon after entering US airspace into Alaska, about um, five eleven PM, old Captain T it might be easier to say that, mm-hmm. he saw two craft to his left, about two thousand feet below him, and he thought they're probably, you know, US Air Force aircraft because Alaska's right on the boundary of the Soviet Union and they're patrolling the skies, keeping the Ruskies at bay. Right, so it wouldn't be unusual to see something there? Absolutely not. You think it's all, all all likes in the sky at that point. Likes in the sky? Likes in the sky at that point. Man, I got my podcast name wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the first time. <laughs> um, but the lights were sort of matching his um, flight path and speed, which he thought was a little unusual. Um, sort of about six, seven minutes later, both these craft... Um, which he could later distinguish as as craft uh, veered into a position um, about you know thousand two thousand feet directly in front of his aircraft at the same altitude. So he was seeing them visually or on radar. Sorry, I missed that. But uh, he was seeing them visually. So they okay. they flew up alongside, and yep. um, all of a sudden these these two craft were directly in front of his aircraft at uh, thirty five thousand feet, flying at nine hundred k. Mm-hmm. And only a couple thousand feet in front of him, which is a little bit disconcerting um, in, in, in that sort of environment. Right. When you have these bright things just like right in front of your face. Yeah, when you're flying yep. a plane at great speed. They were like um, the dazzlingly, dazzlingly, dazzlingly bright. I still kind of can say it. So really bright. Yep. <laughs> just say that. Yep. 
and they um, they, they flash lights for about three to seven seconds as they moved into the the front of the seven four seven. So so there'd be a lot bright bursts of light for three seven seconds. And what Captain T thought is that um, that could be some sort of propulsion system for them, and he could feel the warmth coming from the bursts of bright light on his face. Oh. So it was something that was really happening. That's quite common in um, in um, UFO sightings. They get like sunburn and things yeah. like that. Like wake a, up with headaches the next day. Like sort of a radiation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Captain T later told investigators that uh, the things were flying as if there was no such thing as gravity. It sped up, it stopped, it flew it over at speed, uh, in a direction. And effectively, the things were flying as if they had no regard for gravity. Hmm. It was um, pretty... Pretty, pretty interesting. That is interesting. Yeah. So, so where did he report this to? Um, so, well, he, he this all went through a whole FAA, Federal Aviation Administration type type dealio mm-hmm. towards the end. But I'll, I'll, I'll jump into the investigation shortly. Mm-hmm. So um, the crew called up air traffic control. We're like, oh hey, BT Dubs. Yeah, there's like some like weird bright shit in front of us. <laughs> <laughs> and the most professional um, pilot voice, um, ATC said, "Hey, well, there's nothing around here on radar. Um, we've got no traffic anywhere near you. You're like alone up there." So, mm. um, but he wasn't. Duh, duh, duh. <laughs> <laughs> so after about three to five minutes, the bright objects uh, moved into a sort of side to side config. So they're sort of parked up next to each other. Still in front of them? Uh, yep. Flew in sort of, uh, sort of, this time they kind of, they sort of flew, flew, flew at it, flew at him. Sort of flew at him, closing that distance. Oh, yeah. From the one two thousand feet, yeah, flashing their flare-like lights, which again, Captain T is thinking some sort of automatic flight control system to keep them steady. But they were still rocking a little bit from side to side. Hmm. Um, the objects were kind of cylindrical in shape, and they consisted of two rectangular arrays of what appeared to be glowing nozzles or thrusters, separated uh, by a dark central portion in the middle. So sort of like a central, but dark central bit, with either side having some sort of thrusters or bright lights flashing as they came towards them. Hmm. Um, they're about the size of, say, a medium-sized commercial aircraft, so a bit smaller than his own aircraft. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So uh, about 5.23, so remember they'd been sighted um, around 5.11, um, around 5.23 they just they started to drift off to his left-hand side and headed towards what Captain T described as a, a pale white light. So both these crafts that had departed his aircraft head towards some pale white light off to the left in the distance. So Captain T studies out there. He peers out the window to have a look to see what he can see. Mm-hmm. Still um, nothing on radar. Still nothing on radar. And he could see um, some that, that these two, two UFOs or whatever you want to call them, um, were heading towards this pale white light. And the pale white light also appeared to be pacing his 747 at the same height, heading and um, and speed as his own aircraft. Hmm. So the crew were like, all right, what the hell's going on here? <laughs> like, let's see if we can let's see if we can track these guns. So got no so ground based radar can't find them. But we've got a weather radar on board this aircraft. And the weather radar is in the nose cone of the aircraft. It doesn't do the whole three sixty loop because it there's only it's only facing out for yep. half that distance. Like imagine if you had a satellite dish on the front, it's got it sort of pointing out at that angle. Much exactly. Yep. So like, all right, let's fire this bad boy up, which they did. Yep. Um, so they not normally have that on. Um, they they didn't they wouldn't necessarily be using it for this type of thing as in finding other traffic out there. Right. Um, at, at least in the 1980s when you didn't have things like a, a traffic avoidance system warnings in place. Right. So the the crew set the radar to a distance of 20 nautical miles, which is just short of 40k, and there. At a distance of, say, 7 to 8 nautical miles, which is around 14 to 15 kilometres, um, they spotted a large target. Oh, so it showed up on their... Showed up on their onboard weather radar. Right. Oh, so, right. Yeah. So what it looked like it would be, look, it sort of picked up what a... Um, it said it was sort of similar to what you'd expect to see if you were finding another aircraft in your vicinity. Yeah. Um, but it, the target just looked larger. Mm-hmm. So... Look, looked larger than what they were seeing. Looked also oh, looked larger than what would be a regular commercial aircraft right. would show up. Right. So they're like, all right, let's give a, it's air traffic controller call again. So get on the blower, get back to um, air traffic control, and they informed, hey, we're picking up something. The aircraft did, and then the air traffic control also confirmed, hey, we're also picking up something in your vicinity. Right. And about the uh, pretty much gave them the, the same spot 
as they were on the 747. So that the air traffic control had this object in the same position as they did, so about 14 kilometres away off the left-hand side of this aircraft. Whoa. I'm like, oh, okay. So it's... Mm-hmm. So, they so can't, there, they, would be, there would presumably be recordings of these messages going there, back and forth between air there traffic are, control? That's right, yeah. So all the transcripts are available online and right. also the recordings. We'll post them up, eh? Yeah, I think we shall. And then you and I, the only two listeners, can view them later. That's right. <laughs> and I've already seen them, so it'll just be you. <laughs> okay, just maybe email me them. <laughs> I'll turn my laptop screen around right now. You can <laughs> yeah. see them. There you go. So um, 5.30 p.m., the air traffic control received a, a frantic call from um, Japan Airlines 1628, uh, and they were requesting an immediate change in course. So I got a frantic radio call from them. So whenever somebody... A pilot, whenever a pilot wants to turn an aircraft, yep. they have to ask permission. Yes, they do. Huh. Yeah. They're all giving a course to fly, so you have to fly that Yeah, course. right. So yeah. you don't bump into anybody else and have a fender bender at 39,000 feet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously, if you needed to take evasive action, you would. Yeah, so there's always a sort of a, a, a separation corridor of 1,000 feet around the aircraft. So yeah, you've, right. got, you've got a bit of a bubble, but yep. there's, not, there's not much. Um, but in the skies of Alaska on this night, there was nothing else around, or at least there shouldn't have been. Well, decades later, they would build harp there. Uh, yeah, <laughs> they, they would. Have an open house. <laughs> yeah, barbecue, uh, yeah. T-shirts. Yeah, get one of those T-shirts. Soon. Parked some trailers, asked, asked a, um, inane questions, I believe. <laughs> uh, so the air traffic controller approved the, uh, the change in course, and uh, Captain T was like, it said it felt forever to get the approval, um, where it was actually only 15 seconds. So, so obviously it was, it was quite worked up. Sweating profusely, I can only imagine. Beads. Yeah, I don't know whether that made the transcript or whether you were just thinking that. <laughs> I'm taking some creative liberties here. Uh, so his comment, um, or the, the first officer who was handling the radio commis- uh, transmissions came back and said, um, it's a very quite big uh, plane. And he was right. Uh, it was a very quite big plane. He was. Or so, was it? Well, the commotion had come about because uh, as the aircraft had overflown Fairbanks, Alaska. There it is. There it is. The um, the bright lights from below. And bear in mind, this is winter time in Alaska, so it's pretty dark at five o'clock at night. Yep. Um, so the bright lights from below had illuminated um, the darkening skies around the seven four seven. So what um, the crew observed just it, it shocked them to their very being and core. <laughs> Off you don't the, know this. You're making it up trying to make it sound sure. dramatic. Oh, yeah. Just, let's move on. <laughs> so off to their left side was a um, gigantic spaceship, and that's um, that's their words, gigantic spaceship. Really? Yep. It sounds like something you'd make up. <laughs> Are you making this up? <laughs> nope. This happened. Really? Yeah, so silhouetted against the, the darkness. So Captain T described the object as sort of shaped like a walnut with a fat rim in the center where the lower and upper halves met. Really? There's been actually quite a few um, UFOs described as walnut exactly, right? Yeah. And this is from a guy who's been flying for 29 years at that point. Correct. Yeah, well. And again, pilots pretty good judges. They know the sky fairly well, as yeah. you say, 29 years of flying. He's, he's flown before. Once or twice. <laughs> uh, so this thing was absolutely an, uh, enormous. Um, so Captain T said it was the size of... You know, at least the size of an aircraft carrier. So, wow. like, you've seen Avengers, have you? Have you seen <laughs> so they have a flying aircraft carrier? I have carrier? seen the Avengers, yes. So they have a flying aircraft carrier. Yeah, so right. very Well, maybe that's what it was. <laughs> maybe. It's a documentary, isn't it, the Avengers? Ah, oh, doco. <laughs> <laughs> and he, uh, he speculated that it was the mothership that the other two crafts he had originally observed had come from and returned to. That's where we're making things up. Yeah. I mean, not making things up. As in, he probably did see that, but that's you're spe- speculating that it's Mothership. That's a speculation. So that's where it, it becomes called the Mothership. Well, yeah, did Independence Day come out? 1997. Really? Yeah. So this No, or I think a Titanic. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll IMDB it next. <laughs> Hang on, let me look that up while you... All right. So this um, gigantic object kept in formation with the 747 during a um, number of changes in, in course, altitude, and speed. Um, so it was picked up intimately on radar um, from the ground and also from the air on the aircraft's radar. So this 
when something like this happens, I mean, he's reporting it looks like a, what was it, gigantic spaceship. Yes, walnut. I would, in my head, and it might be because I've seen movies, they would scramble an aircraft for a look. Good, good point. Um, so they did suggest to do that. Ah, I was right. Ah, uh, yes, but I they didn't. Make a good commander. So there's some, some there's some various things in here that I'm not entirely sure of the credibility of um, on some of these articles. But um, one topic is says that, um, and I'm, this is this is where it gets a bit dubious. I'm not sure about this. Um, but uh, the the one source says an aircraft was going to be scrambled, but they didn't get the rat together in time before the incident had ceased. Right. The other one is that, and this is quoting Wikipedia, mind you, Anchorage Air Traffic Control offered military intervention, which was declined by the pilot due to his knowledge of the Mantell incident. And if you... Explain. So Mantell incident was... Uh, I think it was in the 1950s. I'll just follow this link. Uh, 1948. <laughs> so Captain Thomas Mantell. There was, um, he was a pilot in the Kentucky Air National Guard. And there was a UFO spotted near um, an airbase in Kentucky. And what in, in the end, the, uh, the Air Force claimed that he was uh, either chasing a, a Skyhook balloon or chasing the planet Venus. Right. Right. Okay. But and he, so uh, he was just completely discredited, and yeah, yeah. So he flew um, off to intercept this object, um, which had been plaguing different. Uh, you know, I mean, had lots of reports of it, and uh, like a Foo Fighter. Yeah, flew up to get it. He didn't have oxygen, so he flew and flew and flew and flew. Ran out of air apparently, and uh, ran out of and landed safely on Venus. Um, yeah, <laughs> I wish. Uh, so. But there was lots of reports on this that this was actually that the um, the object had shot him down. Titanic, nineteen ninety seven, Independence Day, nineteen ninety six. Six got it out around the wrong way. <laughs> that so I find it very unusual that the Captain T is like, oh no, the Mantell incident. I won't let them come. Yeah, like I, I mean, think in the heat of the moment and everything, right? But you're would, th- I, all I, you're thinking about is being discredited. If I was up there, I'd be like, no, 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 send somebody, please, because this thing is scary AF. Yep. 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 You would. Uh, so I, I think my, my, I seem to lean towards the idea that they um, just kept about. Gotcha. Yeah. Or knew something about it and didn't want to go on. Yep. Another potential there. But um, good news for Captain T. Touchdown safely at about six twenty p.m. in Anchorage. And that was that. That was the end of that. As in, the end of that flight. That was the end. It of- was never seen again. Well, we'll, we'll, no one immediately followed it up and saw it. We'll come to that. <laughs> I'm living with suspense here. Okay. So yeah. the FAA, Federal Aviation Administration, um, conducted some investigation into this, obviously. Um, lots of claims were thrown around by other conspiracy um, theorists and um, debunkers, um, one of which claimed that the two UFOs they'd seen were the planet Jupiter and Mars, just hanging out there on his left-hand side, 2,000 feet in front of him. Yeah. Cause, you know. So where did you say the plane landed? Was it Jupiter or Mars <laughs> or Alaska? Anchorage, Jupiter. Yeah, right. No, I wasn't sure. It's on, on the shores of uh, Jupiter Bay. You know, you know how there's like Portland, Oregon and Portland, Maine? Yeah. I wonder if it was Alaska, Jupiter. Yeah. can get confusing up there. Yeah, I mean, clearly. <laughs> uh, but in the end, um, the FAA said, well... Probably what it was is that um, you know the the, the crew saw something. Not going to can't you know not going to credit uh, discredit what the crew saw. They saw something. Not sure what it was. It just remained a UFO. Yeah, and they said, oh, all the radar images. No, it was just a split radar return from the aircraft itself. What does that mean? So it means that uh, the, the the radar beam sweeps around and it's picking up the itself. It's picking up the aircraft and then it's it's somehow splitting the image. It's it's reflecting off somehow uh, and yep. you're getting a dual return. Bear in mind though, how do you get a split return from the aircraft that is having the radar on board? So the aircraft has a radar on board. Mm. It can't be picking up itself. So how is it picking up itself on a split return on board? That's um, well, isn't that why the term exists? Like, what else is a split return if it's not picking up yourself? Oh, you're saying because it's the front-facing radar? Yeah, so on the ground it's sweeping and it's picking up the uh, aircraft. Gotcha. And it's instead of giving you one solid image back, it's breaking it into two separate images. Oh, uh, yeah. But on the aircraft, it's... um Just one. 
Yeah. Or it can't. The, well, the aircraft has a radar. Yep. Um, but the aircraft can't be picking itself up on radar. So if the radar, because the, the aircraft itself is the radar, this it is getting really be, awesomely confusing. It can't be picking up itself. Okay. Gotcha. So a radar station could not be picking it up itself yeah, yeah, on radar right. because it's generating. Otherwise, radar. it would have a blip every time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it would just be one giant blip to the yeah. over it. Yeah. Like there's something really, really, really close. Yeah. Like the call's coming from inside the it's house. It's like, oh God, there's something right next to us. It's like, no, no, that's just us. <laughs> yeah. I keep getting ah. confused. Is it meant to be two dots or one? <laughs> so, the case. Um, got into the media and um, sort of became a bit of a sensation um, sort of say due to the compelling evidence of the incident in fact they were um, tracking UFOs on the ground and on airborne radar as well so two different radars in two very different places gave the same return Mm. which is pretty hard uh, to prove there's nothing there if there's two very separate radars and what different locations doing that um, and also the credibility of the people. So airline pilots saw it, experienced radar operators on the ground, um, yep. witnessed it. Yep. So they're really credible people. And um, so, again, like what we said earlier, pilots make pretty good witnesses, really. Yep. Um, it always adds a bit more gravitas to it. It, it does. It, it, it does indeedy, boy. All right. Is there anything more to report? Two months later? Yep. January 30th and 31, 1987. Uh, craft was seen again. Really? Yeah. One, same area? Same area in Alaska. So one was a, uh, um, a US Air Force KC-135 tanker aircraft. Mm-hmm. And um, they actually made a comment, um, do you get these kind of things up here quite often in Alaska after the, you know, after your Japan Airlines on? Or was it, or was it just Japan Airlines at sea? There's something <laughs> along those lines. So, it, you know, it generated enough comment. And when they landed, they had a ra- their radio call picked up and said, um, can you give the uh, operations, space operations or FA operations a call? And they said, is that about the object we just saw? And they're like, yes. Whoa. Yeah. And, and then that is where you roll the credits and you start writing the sequel. Yeah. <laughs> and then the next day, an Alaska Airlines aircraft um, was buzzed by another strange object. Oh, yeah? The crew picked this up on their radar. Oh, that would have been um, Iceman and Maverick nice. buzzing the tower. Yeah. Was it the tower buzzed? Uh, no, it was oh. in the air. Uh, I hear they do that too. Do they? Was it about the right time? When look at Top, Top Gun. Gun. <laughs> Let me look up Top Gun. So what year was that you were saying? 1987. So Top Gun was... 1986. Wow. Well, nice. Nice. There you go. I think I solved it. So the crew of the Alaskan Airlines aircraft, they saw on their radar that the object was moving a mile a second, which is, um, I did a quick calculation here, just shy of 6,000 kilometers an hour. I hear that's what Tom Cruise cruises at. That's his cruising speed. <laughs> yeah. When he's out cruising. Yeah, exactly. Or, uh, like, that's obviously what it was. They were just rehearsing <laughs> Top Gun. Or, or we're just looking for a sequel. So that's really all the uh, case evidence I have to present. It's uh, Effectively, the case is closed. If in the FAA's eyes, they're like, no, it was um, split image. Crew didn't really see something. And really? it may have been Jupiter. And- it's always more interesting when they just straight out deny. Yeah. Because like, there's plenty of cases where they just say, you know, we don't know. But when they say no, then you've got a twenty-nine, a, a pilot with twenty-nine years' experience just being told he's wrong. That's kind of weird. But anyway, should we move on to the next section? I think we should. So this is the final section. Where it's how we're hoping to finish up every show, um, and it's called "Get Me Some Strange" because Tony likes getting hearing some strange. strange tales so <laughs> so what we've got is the 1982 there's a lot of 80s stuff going on in yeah. this episode so 1982 version of do you want to read that wee comment there on the oh well yeah so 1982 reader's digest um book entitled mysteries of the unexplained how ordinary men and women have experienced the strange <laughs> the uncanny and the incredible so if it was so it's called mysteries of the unexplained is that almost a redundant headline because if it was called mysteries of the explained then well the thing you is explain. it's an unexplained thing but they're explaining it uh, really i mean you've written a book about it you're explaining it right but from what I've read, sometimes they just throw the unexplained thing out there and you don't actually know anything more about it. They don't try and solve it. They do like, weird thing. Interesting. Okay, so the, the this was picked up at a, um, at a fair in one of those bargain book things. For a fair or a fate? 
Yeah, either one. Carnival. Um, and so it's a used book. Uh, was about two bucks. What does it smell like? Like an old book. <laughs> like an 80s book. Nice. Um, the note in the front says, To Daddy, Happy Father's Day, Lots of Love from Christopher and Katie. With six, nine, twelve X's. As in, like, kisses. Um, 2nd of September 1984. So they bought it when it was in print for two years. Um, weird thing is, as a paranormal one, I have a brother and sister called Chris and Katie. <gasps> And you have a father, too. I have a father as well. He would have had Father's Day. You have a father that your brother and sister may have kissed six, seven times. <laughs> All right, so what we're going to do is I'm going to flick through this book, and Tony will say stop. Stop. And when I say... Oh, when sorry, I, I came in hot. When it stops, I'm just going to flick it open and read the first mystery of the unexplained that I see, because um, there's some quite strange things in here. Okay, so flicking the pages now. All right. It looks here? like we are in the ghost section. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, this is the ghosts and stuff. So, oh, let's keep it um, keep it uh, in the airline realm. Hey. Yeah, here we go. Is this not the ghost of Easton? Yes. Hey, this Man, is a good story. Stuff. I like this story. Okay. They even made a movie about this. Really? Yeah. Okay, the ghosts of flight 401 in December 1972. Eastern Airlines TriStar Jetliner Flight 401 crashed into a Florida swamp. 101 people died in the crash, one for every Dalmatian. <gasps> and it actually says that in the book. <laughs> <laughs> Including the pilot, Bob Loft, and the flight engineer, Don Repo. They just sound like mobsters. On more than 20 occasions thereafter, crew members of other Eastern TriStars, especially those that had been fitted with parts salvaged from the wreck, they do that? So, yeah, it, well, because it didn't, it didn't plow into the terrain. It crashed into the swamp, but um, it, it was on auto, or had been on autopilot, and it just glided in because they bumped the control column, which is effectively the plane steering wheel, and it made this noise like. <laughs> to say the autopilot disconnected, <laughs> which is why now when you disconnect the autopilot, it goes, whoop, whoop. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> big noises. So they just didn't realise they were on autopilot because they were trying to solve they a problem. Cru- they just cruised into yeah. a crash they, landing. Yeah, they just cruised into a crash landing. They just glided mm-hmm. into the ground. Well, into the Everglades. Okay, so um, crew members of other Eastern Tri-Stars, especially those that had been fitted with parts salvaged from the wreck of Flight 401, saw entirely lifelike apparitions of Loft and Repo. In some cases, the apparitions were identified by people who had known the two men, and in some cases, by reference to photographs. And that comes from the book, The Unexplained Mysteries of Mind, Space, and Time, Volume 3, Issue 32, for those of you playing at home. So to to add a little bit more of that, I know, the... um, Man, you know everything about anything plane-related. Eastern... so, So bear in mind, plane parts are really expensive. So right. The bits that could be salvaged, they did their best to do because they were really. They were I like, suppose, especially in 1972, right? Yeah. They were, they were like, oh, stoked on this. We had a plane crash, but look at all the shit we get. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Eastern, it became a real problem. So, a lot of Eastern staff saw it. A lot of their passengers on board the aircraft saw um, Loft and Repo, um, often in uniform, sitting in the cabin, um, in the flight deck of the aircraft. And Eastern went as far as removing every single part from their TriStar fleet that it salvaged from 401. Wow. Because of the problem and wanted to stop And Once they did that, I believe, it pretty much ceased. But wow. they removed all the parts because of these stories. And so to do that, it would be millions of dollars to actually do that, to yep. take these parts out. Yep. All the downtime the aircraft needed, all the man hours and maintenance to take all the parts out and replace them. Just figuring out which bits you stole. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you kind of think, if it wasn't a real problem, like if it wasn't actually a real issue, they wouldn't have done that. Yeah, that's right. Because I think at first they were so dismissive. But yep. um, I think there's a movie called The Ghosts of Eastern 401. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, having a Google. Having a wee Google. What year was that released? Because so far we've had a 1986 Top Gun. We've had a 1996 Independence Day. And we've had a 1997 Titanic <laughs> mentioned. The Ghost of Flight 401, 1978. Oh, really? That's only two years after the um, 
event. So that's crazy, thinking how long it takes to make a movie. The planes crashed, and then within two years, there's enough sightings that they've made a movie about it. Yeah, cray. Mm. Alright, I think that about does it for episode one. Wrap her up. Um, we'll probably do it again, but who knows if you will. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we will only get better from here. Yeah, I suppose I'm so. Sure. I mean, this feels like a really long one, and looking at the recorder, I think it's a really long one. So we'll probably um, tighten it up a bit, but thanks for sticking with. Um, thanks, Woody, for the theme tune. Um, thanks, all the other people. And so... Even though you're probably not listening anymore because you've got the point the point that I'm wrapping it up. Yes. Like, this is where I tune out, normally. Um, follow us on Twitter, at L-I-T-S underscore podcast. Same on Instagram. Not going to repeat it because no one ever does anyway. No. You probably even found this through Twitter. Yes. So <laughs> Just search Lights in the Sky podcast. You'll find our stuff. Yep. You'll find our stuff. Cool. And on that note, thanks very much. Toodaloo.